Good evening, everybody. I can tell you right now that it is no less than 20 degrees cooler out here than it is in that drum booth. So uh, it feels great. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, let's try that again. How's everybody doing today? Okay, good, 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 good. So uh, man, we're gonna jump straight into it tonight and, and uh, thank you all for being here. And man, I just pray that you are encouraged and uh, as we get ready to jump into, ooh, thank you, uh, jump into uh, the Govax. I wanna go ahead and invite you to take your Bibles out. So hopefully you have those tonight. And if you're a new first Wednesday-er, uh, we encourage you to bring your Bible. We encourage you to bring your Bibles all the time, but um, definitely on first Wednesdays, we encourage you to bring your Bible. And if you can, your paper Bible, always encourage that um, when possible. Uh, and so uh, we are coming out of Acts. So we've been, if you're, if you're new, we're going to kind of catch you up just a little bit. Uh, we've been in the book of Acts and we're kind of, uh, until the Lord tells me to stop, we're just going to keep going through the book of Acts. And so we've, uh, we've gone for a couple months now through that and we've gone through Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and tonight we're going to do chapter 5. Um, and so if this is your first, first Wednesday experience with us, um, it's a good bit of reading, preaching, reading, preaching, which is kind of different than... Um, the amount of reading we do on Sundays. However, um, it is an important thing that we know how to dissect the word of God in both formats. And so what I mean by that is this, in the pipeline we teach that there's two different forms in which you can teach and pull apart the word of God. So there's a topical format, which is usually what we'd experience on Sundays, which is a topic. And we're gonna talk about what the Bible says about that topic. And there's an exegetical or an exegesis uh, model where we're going to take just what the Bible says, and we're going to work through it. And as we work through it, we're pulling the truths out of it. And so Wednesdays for us is a more of an exegesis model. So we're going to move through the text, pull out the truths, identify it, let it hurt our feelings, and then keep going. Okay, so uh, if, if you're new to this, welcome. All right, so uh, that's kind of how this works. Um, and so we're going to go to Acts chapter 5 to catch you up in case you weren't here the last couple months. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we see that the spirit falls in the upper room. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit uh, falls in the upper room. And so the people, uh, the disciples, the uh, men of God that are in the upper room, the spirit falls on them. They speak in a different language, uh, in different languages, actually. Uh, and they end up speaking in the languages of the men outside the room because there's a giant uh, uh, festival going on in the city. And men from all different tribes are there that speak different languages. So they start speaking the different languages, but they don't know the languages. So the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is giving them the language to speak of the men outside the room. And they're telling the men outside the room what they need to hear in their language of the goodness of God. And then they are baffled. Could you imagine just being in, in like another country that doesn't speak English and someone starts reading your mail in English, telling you all the stuff you need to get right. I'd be like, okay, I'm leaving now. So, uh, and so they, they experience that. Uh, Peter gets up, cause why wouldn't it be Peter, uh, right? And so don't worry, we're gonna make fun of Peter some more tonight. Uh, I believe that's why he's in the Bible actually, to make us all feel better about being us. So. So uh, Peter gets up, speaks a message, 3,000 people give their life to the Lord in one day. Um, and then we go to Acts chapter 3, where then Peter and John are talking, or they're, they're walking. They see a lame beggar, uh, and has the lame beggar looks at them, and he says, do you have any money, essentially? And they say, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have to you I give up in the name, give to you in the name of Jesus. Uh, get up and walk. And this man who has been lame for 40 years gets up and starts walking. Uh, and so, uh, needless to say that religious folks didn't like that, um, because they didn't follow their rules. Cause how fitting is it that religious people would rather be good rule followers than Jesus followers. Um, and so that's not the message for tonight, but, uh, and so <laughs> didn't, sorry, sorry, sorry. So, uh, and so, uh, they, they, they didn't mind that someone got healed. They just didn't like that. He got healed the way they thought that he was supposed to get healed. Uh, and so that was the problem. And so they stand before them uh, and they end up letting them go. And when they let them go, all of uh, the believers begin to pray. And then at the end of chapter four, uh, all the believers actually start selling their possessions 
and giving to the church, they start denying themselves. They, they sell everything they have, they give to the church. And so uh, this Saturday, we're having a giant yard sale. And so I'm just kidding, we're not doing that. Um, we do have a student event this Saturday though. So if you're a teenager or you have a teenager, then, yeah, feel free to come out to that. Um, from 12 to two, yeah? Yep. From 12 to two, so uh, non-guilty plug. All right, so, and so, that catches us up to where we're at. So the, so the disciples and the believers begin, or not the disciples, they don't have anything to start with. The believers start selling their possessions and they're giving it to the church. Um, and, and so the money that they're raising, they're giving it to the church. And essentially what they're saying is, if this is worth believing in, it's worth giving everything I have to believe in. And my, my opening question for you tonight is, is what you believe in worth giving everything you have to believe in? in it? Is it worth giving up your home or your car or your bank account? Is it worth giving up uh, everything that you may have worked so hard for? Is it worth giving up your ambitions and your goals? Is this that we're working towards or is this that we have in Christ Jesus worth giving everything up for? And the believers of the early church found out the answer was yes. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a a house or a car uh, or a bank account or goals or a career, or any of those things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, would you give it up if Jesus called you to? When I'm teaching in the pipeline, one of the phrases we use, at least semi-often, is, uh, would you move, would you leave everything behind and move to a hut in South Africa and live off the land if God said go right now? And the general consensus in the first class is like, "Mm." And then come the end of year two, it's like, Lord, you have everything. Um, not that there aren't a number of tears in that process. So, and so uh, as, we, as we move along that journey, my question for you is for you to reflect on, is what I have in Christ worth giving everything up for? And if he were to call me to give everything up for it, would I? Because that's where essentially we kind of pick up in Acts chapter 5. So let's go there. Um, So we're going to go verses 1 through 11. We have a a cool little story about two lovely people named Ananias and Sapphira. If you know the story, you know why that's funny. Um, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, see, see, wife's knowledge, y'all get us in trouble every time. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That was a joke. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So just so we're clear, they sold their property and they're bringing it to the apostles and they're saying, this is all the money that we raised from it. But in actuality, they kept some back. Kind of the way if you're married, at least one spouse in the marriage has to be the one that keeps some things back. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So like you got the saver and the spender and one of them's like, hey, listen, the bank account's almost empty until like you actually get a receipt from the ATM. And it's like, oh, no, no, that account is almost empty, right? So the other one's got money in it, but you left that part out, right? So I'm not bitter. Okay, so... So they held back for themselves on the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse three, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell to the ground and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him and buried him. So just for the record, Peter addresses this lie in Ananias. And he, he says, why did you lie? And then, Peter, uh, and then Ananias drops dead standing right before him. And so after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. (laughs) Explanation needed. So his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. In other words, Peter saying, is it true that this is how much you sold the land for, right? 
And so, uh, and she said, yes, for that much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have, sorry, behold for those that, man, listen, behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, I don't find it ironic that Ananias and Sapphira, uh, their temptation is the same one that if we're honest, we face. Some of you are like, I don't have any acreage to sell, so I don't think we're in the same boat. So, uh, but maybe we are and you don't know it. So uh, essentially, as believers, we come to the Lord and we say, all right, God, you can have all of me. How many of you remember that glorious day where God revealed to you your sinful state and you put your faith in Jesus? Anybody, can, can we all at least kind of remember that moment or at least that season of life where, where God did a work on you and you're like, oh, I'm jacked up. Maybe not as jacked up as the person sitting next to you, but you were jacked up. You know what I'm saying? So like, give a nudge. Anyway, so like you, you realize, man, I'm jacked up. And, and how many of you remember the honeymoon phase of Christianity? Where like, it, it's like, God, you have it all. Like you start practicing living on croutons only. You know what I mean? Like just in case, God, you're calling me somewhere. I want to be, I want to be prepared. You know, I don't even know how to eat a pie nut, but like, let's do this. Like, so, so we start giving, like, and so we remember the, the honeymoon phase of Christianity where nothing was off limits that God could call from our life. But isn't it interesting that at some point, if we're honest and if we're not careful, we start drawing lines around the things that God can no longer have. Oh, see, now we're similar to Ananias and Sapphira. You see, the, the temptation in all of us is, is, God, I give you all of me, but I'm still going to keep part of me. And so we, we come to God and we don't deal with, with the real issue. And here's the real issue. They wanted the prestige and the recognition of faithful disciples, but they also wanted the security and confidence that found in worldly things. You see, to, to kind of give you context as to what's happening in the story. And an Sapphira certainly uh, can identify that Jesus is real and they don't have a hard time identifying that he's done amazing things. And so what they come to in this space is like, okay, well, everyone around us is doing it. So like we need to do it too. So we want to have the appearance of faithful disciples but we don't, and we want to have the prestige of faithful disciples. Man, let's fit in with what's going on here. We want to have the integrity. We want to have the character. We want to have the calling. We want to have the anointing. We want to have the recognition of faithful disciples, but we also want the security of worldly things. I want what God has for me as long as I can also have what I want for me. And essentially that's what they did they bring part of it to God saying, man, this is yours. And to look good in front of the rest, because I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, my man, Lakeith is sitting over here on the front row. And if Lakeith just put his faith in Jesus and, and God called him and said, Lakeith, I want you to sell your 36 acres that you got out in Beulah. Because I mean, no, that's a gold mine right now. So uh, I want you to sell that. And I want you to give it to the church. First of all, in Jesus' name. Okay, secondly, no, so, uh, if God were to do that and he does that and all of a sudden the same thing happens to Erica and the same thing happens to Marcy, the same thing happens to Dawn, and all of a sudden uh, here we are sitting here and, and Justin's looking around going, man, everybody else is selling everything they got and giving it to the church. Like, I need to keep up. How bad is it when we start treating church obedience like a country club where it's only a competition to be kept and not a calling to be walked in. And so, so they come in and, and they see everyone else is selling stuff and they go, man, we need to sell stuff too. But here's the problem, are you ready? They wanted the prestige, right? But they didn't want the sacrifice. 
So even, even though I'm going to give it all, I'm going to keep some. I believe in God enough to give him part of my life, but I don't give him enough to trust him with all of it. Now it's not hard to see how their story and our story gets pretty similar, doesn't it? And so the issue with Ananias and Sapphira wasn't that they held something back, though. It was that they claimed to have given it all. There were plenty of people in the city that didn't sell everything they had and give it. We don't, they're not listed here, but we know, we can assume there were plenty of people in the city that didn't sell their land. The problem wasn't that they sold their land or that they sold or didn't sell their land. The problem was that they lied about selling their land. And here's what I think we as Christians really need to grab a hold of. And, and if you're here today and you are not in the faith, you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, I invite you to do that. But here's, the, here's what we as Christians fall prey to. We're so busy trying to convince the world to be righteous, we haven't gotten it. I say this all the time. I'm not shocked when birds fly. I'm not shocked when fish swim. And I'm not shocked when sinners sin. So when the world acts like the world, it don't bother me. So like, y'all picking up what I'm throwing down? You know what I'm saying? So like when someone that doesn't know Jesus does something crazy, I'm not like, oh my gosh. I'm not caught off guard because that's what they do. The problem here wasn't that they were disobedient. The problem was that they claimed to be something that they obviously were not. And I believe the damage to our faith right now is not sinners sinning. The world acting like the world is not the problem. The church not acting like the church is the problem. And that's not a bash on churches because hello somebody, we part of it. All right, so like we're a part of the church that needs to get it together. And, and the church as an institution doesn't get it together until the individuals in it get together. So, so we have to get it together. That's why, we, that's why we're talking about this tonight. So, so what do we have to grapple with? So here's a question I have. What about when God calls you to something you don't like? Like here's the thing, right? How many of you wish you could sing like some of these cats on stage? Didn't Vincent kill it tonight? My dude just like... <laughs> I love that dude. He ain't even in here, is he? I compliment him. He's not here. Good. He don't need to get that head anyway. Okay, so. <laughs> Frankie said, amen. So, uh, so they're, 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 they're gifted and they're talented. And, and how many of you, if you were just being honest, this is a, this is a honest moment of transparency. You're like, man, I kind of wish like I had that. I, like, I wish that I could do that. Like anybody wish you kind of, like, I wish I had a skill like that. You know what I mean? Like, like I can't sing. And that's what I realized that. So I just accepted it and we moved on, right? So many of us would like to have, you know, something like that. But the problem is, what about when God doesn't call you to the platform, but he calls you to the pit? Because yep. the spotlight's easy. But what about when he calls you to dig the ditch in Jesus' name? Like, what about when he doesn't call you to your greatest career opportunity? What if he calls you to serve faithfully in the thing you don't like? What if he keeps you at that job without that promotion? Because now we're talking about whether or not we're going to trust him. So what if it's something that you don't like? What about when God calls you to walk away from that relationship you're in, have been in, and don't want to get out of? What, what about when God calls you to lay down that sin you love so much? But nobody knows about it. Nobody knew what they, pay, what they got for the land either. It's not hurting anybody. It may not be hurting anybody. Your sin may not be hurting anybody but you. But you, stand, gotta, you still got to stand before a holy God about it. And last I checked, this New Testament, cats are dropping dead. So I just feel like we should really weigh out our options sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, like maybe you should keep your clothes on. You're welcome. Like maybe you shouldn't send that text message you want to send real bad. Maybe despite the fact that you really think they need to hear what you got to say, you really need to hold your tongue. Like, because last time I checked, 
cats were dropping dead. We're putting that on a shirt. <laughs> Merch shop. John, make it happen. All right. Last time I checked, and on the back, cats were dropping dead. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> Highest selling sweater in the merch shop, uh, culture shop, was Acts chapter 5. Anyways, all right, so. <sighs> but what about when God calls you to close the door on that season of your life? God, I'm not ready to close the door in that season of your life, but God is. God was ready to close the door on the season of land ownership for them. And he called them to do something with what he gave them. And hear me, I'm certainly not suggesting that if you don't follow through with the call of God on your life, that you're not going to, I'm not saying you're going to drop dead in that moment. I'm just kidding. But here's what I'm saying. And here's what I want you to grab a hold of tonight is the problem wasn't, that they sin, the problem was what they, is that they hid it. And I believe we as Christians have gotten far too comfortable in our sin. And we're not trying to model Christ. We're trying to figure out the loopholes to not model him. So it's like, yeah, but technically, it's like, technically cats were dropping dead. Acts chapter five. So here's the reality. And I say we because I genuinely mean we. Right? This is not a y'all and I'm over here chilling, but y'all need to get it together. There's a we. Turn to your neighbor and say we. All right, so we, all, we are all in the same boat. Here's the reality. We are great at convincing ourselves that God can have all of us as long as all of us really means part of us. So we're, we're, we're really good. At, all right, God, you can have all of us as long as all of us really only means part of us. And the reality is that's not what God called us to as believers, as faithful believers. I, I sold myself out to God. That's what we talked about, right? The honeymoon phase of Christianity. You said, God, you can have it all. And I'm not saying that God is standing here saying you need to sell it all. I am saying, are you living a life that is prepared to sell it all? And not just sell it all, but give it all away. Because that is what God may be calling us to. And here's the way that I believe he is calling us to it. I believe he is calling us to, in our heart, pre-decide that nothing is off limits to him. In our hearts, pre-decide ahead of time, God, there's nothing in my life that you can't have. And here's the trick to that. Are you ready? You make the decision before you have to do it. You decide ahead of time, all right, God, everything in my life, you can have it. But you don't wait until he's asking for it to try to come up with a decision. Y'all ever seen someone get proposed to, and it's obviously they have not thought through that answer yet? <laughs> they drop to the knee, and they're, they're not going, oh my gosh, they're going, oh no. <laughs> and, and I believe for many of us, we are finding ourselves in a position where uh, we may stand before God and he may pop up and he may ask us to lay down the thing that we want to hold on to the most. And if he asks us to do it, how are we going to respond? And I believe, unfortunately, for, for the bulk of Christians, particularly in America, because we are spoiled Christians, our, our, our faithful brothers and sisters in Iran are not having this conversation. They've already decided if I'm a Christian in Iran, it means dying tomorrow. So, so we're the only country that has to sit back and reflect on all of our possessions, all of our dreams, all of our ambitions, all of our goals, and all of our desires, and figure out if we're ready to make the trade or not. Everyone else, when they say yes to God, it already happened. So we have to step in this tension and work that out. And so we have to figure out, is what I have open to God? And if it is... I'm making the decision ahead of time to say, God, you can have everything. Now, here's the beauty. is he usually lets you keep most of it. So stay calm. But you want to make the decision ahead of time. And this is a genuine reflection. This isn't something that you're going to answer tonight and be like, yeah, you know what? I just think, yeah, I'll, I'll give it all away. Chew on that some. All right? Because it chews like a Jolly Rancher and not a Starburst. All right? You're going to need to wheel that around a little bit. 
both the analogy and the truth about that. So like, so, so Acts chapter five, verse four, I want to take you to something that's happening in the text just to continue to drive this point home for a second. In Acts chapter five, verse four, well, before we do that, let's go to verse three. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then he goes on in verse four and he says, while it remained unsolved, did it not remain your own? In other words, you didn't have to do anything with it. It was yours, right? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, you didn't have to give all the money to us. So why is it that you have contrived this or, or some or translations use the word conceived this thing in your heart, right? And I want to point out something that it's not just instinctively as we war with our flesh, but in a premeditated conceived fashion, we align our deep corners of our hearts where we want to be both honored and holy to be both fruitful and faithful and to be of great success yet appear to have great sacrifice. So to unpack that a little further for you to help you understand what I'm saying is, it's not uncommon, how many of y'all still struggle with something? Now when I use the word struggle, I do mean struggle too and not like, well, anyway. So uh, one more time, who struggles with stuff, right? And what I think is important that we understand here and what Peter's asking here is he's saying, why did you conceive in your heart? In other words, this wasn't an instinctive, impulsive, fleshly response, yet they wanted to be, they wanted to do the right thing, but their flesh got the best of them. Because how many of us have found ourselves in that position? How many of you find yourselves like Paul? I hate, I wake up doing the things that I hate and the things that I hate to do and the thing like, so we've all been in that space, right? But what he's saying here in, in chapter five of Acts is like, you conceived it in your heart. This was a premeditated decision. You knew what you were about to do and you chose to do it. You, you sat back, had a conversation Ananias and Sapphira, y'all, y'all, y'all talked about it and was like, I got an idea because surely the God that created the world and the universe won't know. Let's say we're giving this to look good in front of our friends, but let's only give this in case this God thing don't work out. And I believe that many of us if we're not careful, and if I step on your toes right now, I don't apologize. I believe for many of us, we are chalking up conceived, premeditated, sinful decisions to fleshly responses. In other words, we are sitting in our couch, knowing who we're texting, why we're texting them, and what we're about to ask them to do, doing it, and then going, yeah, I'm just struggling with that. No, you're not. You conceived in your heart. Then you drove across town and you did that thing. You sat back at your job, looked at the till drawer, knew there was an extra 40 in it, and figured out the way in which you would get it out. Don't give credit to fleshly instinctive responses when it's really conceived heart issues. And we have to start calling sin what it is. Because don't get me wrong, how many of you know we all need grace because we stumble and fall? Like, so like I'm in that camp too, right? American Airlines almost called hands a few weeks ago. Like y'all, some of y'all saw my post, okay? So like God's still working on me. He ain't done yet, Okay. So I'm in the camp of still working on a few things myself. But what I want to encourage you as believers is to not confuse the difference between a conceived decision of the heart and a reactive struggle of the flesh. Because those things are not the same. And as believers, we are called to kill the conceived sinful decisions of our heart what Colossians 3 talks about. Put to death those things 
sexual immorality, idolatry, and he goes on to list a number of them. He doesn't say, like, just make sure that it doesn't get the best of you. He says, kill it. Take the head off of it and give it no place for you. And God is calling us to a place where the conceived decisions of our heart are that of a pursuit of righteousness and that not that of a pursuit of fleshly desire. Because hear me, when you start to go down the slope of a conceived heart, you will find yourself in a pit of despair. You will wake up one day trying to figure out if you're bipolar or what it is. And this is not if you are here and you deal with uh, the medical repercussions of chemical imbalances. I am not talking to you right now. Okay, so just so when we're clear, I believe there are people in the church who think they deal with bipolar issues. And what the reality is, is the sinful life they live behind closed doors and the righteous one they live in front of open doors. Those worlds are getting too close together and they're having a hard time keeping them apart. And what we're talking about now is what Peter is calling them, what he's wishing they would have done, is I wish you would have just stayed over there. You didn't have to sell it. I wish you would have just not sold it at all than to sell it and lie about it. And in our hearts, we have to reconcile the reality that God is calling us to a position of righteousness as believers But hear me, don't fall into the trap of just putting on the righteousness in front of the people you want to impress, but actually walking it out. Because character is only character if it remains when no one's watching. And so we have to stay there. So for many of us, we want the favor of God without the risk of faith. But you don't get favor without faith. And so we have to find ourselves obedient to that calling, but God calls us as believers, moreover, that we be honest and not hypocritical, which is what we're looking at here. So uh, the reality is, for many of us, by attempting to cheat God, all we've really actually done is cheated ourselves. Because how many of us want a fulfilled life in Christ? Hopefully everyone, everyone's like, ah, really on the fence about that. Uh, so how many of us want a fulfilled life in Christ? I didn't look at this side of the room. Perfect. Yeah, okay, good, good. A couple of y'all. Eh, all right, so yeah, okay. So <clears throat> listen to me. By holding back parts of your life that God can't have, you haven't robbed him of anything. You've robbed yourself of completion in the fulfillment that he wants for you. So surrender it all. Let, keep what he lets you keep. Give what he calls you to give and watch your life flourish under the reign of a sovereign king rather than your peasantly preferences. And so that's what God is calling us to. We'll get past that now. Okay, so let's go to verse 12. Some of you are like, thank God. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So they're hoping that hopefully his shadow will heal them. So like, even if he don't touch them, maybe we can get his shadow to touch them and they'll get healed. This is the level of faith people are having because the apostles are living out the life of Christianity. I'm going to say that one more time. Because the apostles are living the life of Christianity, the world who's looking for hope is going as desperate as looking at shadows hoping for healing. The problem has never been God wasn't powerful enough. The problem has always been God saying, can I find a man or woman that will go to the city to fulfill the call that I have for them? So they're going. And the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. How amazing is that? 
But I want to point out something because when we look back at verses 1 through 11, some of you are like, please don't do that. So when we look back at verses 1 through 11, right, it's only after swift and righteous judgment by God that revival breaks out. So like, I want to help you for a second. So like, so it's only at verses 1 through 11, two people had to die. Because how many of you know, how many of you know if someone just dropped dead in here after like a sinful, being in a sinful position and God exposed them and then dropped us before us, how many of y'all know we'd get a few things right? <laughs> like, you know what? That thing, I do have a confession. Confession, I need to talk about it. We don't care who hears it, do we? Everybody, this whole section. All right, this is what happened. No, like, so, so like we, we would all find ourselves in a, in a place of repentance, but that's essentially what happened. Like Ananias, the fire dropped dead and, and surely the people in the city are like, you know what? I think I do. I think there are some things in my life that I could, I could, I could get rid of actually. Like, could you imagine like, just, all right, just bear with me for a second. All right. I just, I don't want to paint a picture. This ain't in the Bible. This is the BLV, but it's the way I like to think, right? Could you imagine if there were two people that were married to someone else, but they like, they hooked up like, or, or, or like texting each other. I don't know how you do that in the Bible. I mean, a chiseling on stone. So anyway, it's like, like, so like they got together, but then like they start airing out laundry, like in the open public, like, Hey, listen, you know, uh, so-and-so's wife, me and her had, and so-and-so was like, pause. That's not written down, but I like to, that's where I was at. Bro, y'all need to read your Bible like I read my Bible. I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying it'd be crazy if it did. So after swift and righteous judgment by God, hear me for a second. After the realization of the power and presence of God, at the life of two people, those two people dying caused all the other people to realize just how real and powerful God was. And the realization led to repentance. And hear me, when the realization of God leads to the repentance of God's people, the revival of God breaks out in the people of God. And in churches, we hear people talking about like, we want revival, we want revival. Hear me, it's going to start with repentance. <laughs> what a time to sneeze, right? So, so when the, if, if we are looking for revival to break out in our churches, in, in other words, if we're looking for drastic moves of God, it's going to start at the altar of repentance for Christians. It's going to start when all of us get honest and real about what we're actually dealing with on the inside. And we bring it to God instead of hiding it from him and say, this is what I need to lay down. And when God's people do that, God moves in his people. And so we come to this place where salvations are happening and healings are happening. And, 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 and I always want to help you understand something. And, and this is for free. This has, it, it talks about this, but this is for free. So like any of you guys that like follow things that are happening in the Christian world. And like if, if someone comes to Pensacola and they like rent out the Bay Center and they're having like a revival and like healings are happening and stuff like that. Let me just help you right now. If salvations aren't happening, the healings aren't either. So like, I just want to, I want to help you understand something because right now in the charismatic world, we don't deal with this a lot, but it happens a lot outside of our church. So luckily, like we're in a bubble of safety, uh, mainly because I guard some of y'all from that nonsense. Anyway, so, uh, but, so we're kind of in a bubble of safety, but I, I want to help you because maybe someone invites you to something and you go to something and it fe feels spiritual and they know how to say all the right things, but you get there and it's very obvious that no one's pointing to Jesus. They're just pointing to people. So it's not let's glorify Christ in front of everyone. It's let's go and get everything we can from Christ. But yet there's not a season of repentance. There's no place for salvation. It's not, God is not honoring that. God always honors the eternal first before he moves in the physical. As I'm, I'm just trying to help some of you here because we've had people come to me and say, like, hey, I'm thinking about going to this thing at this church. And after a half second of Google searches, I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that. Because it's so obvious that it's not in line with the word of God. And that's what we see happening in verses 12 through 
16, and so I'm not going to harp on that long. Um, But I remember Matthew Henry said this, the separation of hypocrites by distinguishing judgment should make the sincere cleave closer to each other and to the gospel ministry. And I think that's the reality that we're talking about. So when God identifies people and pulls them away and shows you they're actually not who they said they are, we shouldn't relish in the fact that they're lost. We should be terrified at the fact that we're still here. When a brother in Christ is removed from, like God pulls him away or, or they decide to chase after the things of their flesh, we don't point at each other and say, I told you, they were an idiot. That might be what you're thinking. But hear me, when God pulls people away, we don't relish in the fact that that has happened. When a sinner gives way to their sin and turns away from God, we don't celebrate that. But it should cause you to awe and wonder at the fact that God kept you so close. That God did not turn you over to yourself. Because how many of you know some of us got some places where God could have said, you know what, I'm going to let you have that. How many, know, how many are glad God is not as petty as we are? Because some of us would have cut us loose a long time ago. Oh, you're back again, huh? Because you didn't learn the last time? And so, <laughs> that's my pipeline year two crew over there. Don't worry about it, y'all. Let's go verses 17 through 26 as we wrap up for tonight. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would, uh, what was this? I'm sorry, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. (laughs) And so just for the record, I want to, man, help you understand something beautiful that just happened here. Uh, These brothers keep preaching the gospel. So they just got locked up for it. God got them out. How many of y'all know for some of us, if God got us out, we'd be like, all right, so I think that's time, right? Like, I think we've, <laughs> I think it's time to wrap this one up. Next city, right? Next city, yeah. Like, so some of y'all, we would, y'all wouldn't even have stopped at a drive-through. Y'all like, we're, we're moving, all right what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We'll get filet of donkey later, all right what I mean? Like, we don't need, like, so, so we, <laughs> we would have kept on moving. And, and so we, we would have kept on moving. I didn't realize that was going to hit like that. So uh, we would have kept on moving. We're moving on to the next city, but not these brothers. These cats just keep on preaching. When they get, hear me for a second, because I want you to grab a hold of this. We're talking about what you're called to and the life you're called to. When they knew they were called to something, they get thrown in prison. When they get out of prison, they don't go where they want to go. They go back to the calling. If God calls you to dig ditches, instead of standing on platforms and all of a sudden something happens in your life, but that calling hadn't changed. You can chase everything you want, but where he's called you to is where you need to be or that job or whatever. Boy, I didn't even know he was up there. That's crazy. (laughs) These brothers keep on preaching. Put me in prison. It's all good. Hear me. They didn't run towards comfort they ran towards confrontation. And so they keep on preaching. Their persecution triggered their perseverance, not their escape. I'm gonna say that one more time. 
their persecution triggered their perseverance, not their escape. And for many of you, you're waiting and just hoping that God will get you out of something. Many of you, there's something in your life right now and you're just sitting back, God, I just need you to get me out of this. I'm over it. I'm done with it. I can't be here anymore. I can't take this. And God is looking at your situation and saying, you're right where I called you. You are in the exact place that I placed you. And if things start to look bad, don't run. Matter of fact, if if someone pulls you away from it, I want you to run right back into it. And that's where God is calling us. Let's jump back in the Bible to quickly move, very quickly move. When they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter, come on, y'all know where I'm going with this. If you've been here at the other first Wednesdays, y'all already know. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, Ray Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. Now, if y'all have been here other first Wednesdays, y'all know Peter's already popped off with this like eight other times. So Peter likes to be clear, like this is petty Peter, all right? So like Peter's like, so, so I mean, go back and read it. I'm not making this up. This is how it's written, all right? So, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, Ray Jesus, whom y'all killed. Y'all ever seen Dumb and Dumber? The diner scene? <laughs> Who y'all killed by hanging him on a tree, but God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were all enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council and Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders for the men to go outside and to, to fast forward this He essentially tells them like, hey, if what they're teaching is not true, it's not a big deal. Let's not kill them. And I want to jump you down to verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go and check out verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Friends, I would dare say brothers and sisters in Christ for all of you whose faith is in Jesus. Do you count it worthy to suffer for the name of Christ? In seasons of your life where you probably like myself, can be full of ambition and dreams and goals and desires and all those things. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, just so we're clear. Is the worthiness of belonging to God suffering? Is the call for you to endure, to stand fast, to plant your feet firmly in this truth to hold firm to the calling of God in your life. And whatever may come our way because of it, whatever pains we may endure, whatever hurts or trials we may have to go through, whatever hurts, whatever trials may come our way, whatever it is, count it all joy and rejoice that you were worthy of the call to suffer. That the world may see your suffering and know that Christ is real. 
not always because he got you out of it, but because he got into it with you. And that is why we serve a God that is so good. Because even in seasons where we don't understand, even when the apostles are placed in prison, they're not sitting back, although Peter, you know, Peter, if there was one of them in the prison that was like, man, listen, God done messed up now. But I got a feeling that we're all sitting in that prison for however long it took for the angel of the Lord to show up going, we're about to have the dopest prison ministry the world's ever seen. Because lock me up, we'll get the jail saved. Let me go, we'll get the world saved. And imagine if that's the heart that Christians have. And I believe my hope as a pastor for you as people in my church is that that would be the heart that you have. God, whatever you're calling me to, my answer is already yes. And whatever I have to endure, I'll endure it. And I'll rejoice even in the parts I don't like because I've been called worthy to go through all of this that your name might be lifted up through my life. Christ be glorified in each of our lives. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you that your word is it's alive and it's breathing and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, I pray that our words tonight would cut deep to our soul. That these words would go past our ears and they would go to our heart and our mind tonight that the areas of our life that we've conceived sinful things. God, that we would repent and that we would with absolute assurance come and put our face before you knowing that you're good and that your grace will carry us. So God, As we do that, we pray that you continue to light the fires in hearts of people. God, I believe you're using our church as a lighthouse on a hill to shine into the hearts of people the truth of the gospel and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. So God, as we desire genuine revival of salvations in our church, let it start with genuine repentance in our church that we would find ourselves surrendering to you all the things that are not of you, saying yes to the call that you have, and with great joy, welcoming with open hands and open hearts all the joy, all the suffering, all the sacrifice, all the blessing, all the favor, all the fruitfulness that you may bring into our lives until the day we meet you face to face And we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal promise. We thank you tonight and we love you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen, amen. We love you guys.